Caleb. And I'm Elise. And you're listening to Happily Scaried, a horror podcast for newlyweds and nearly deads. Elise, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about The Night House. The Night House. Great title for a movie, I think. Kind of bland, but... Yeah, kind of bland. But that's fine. Honestly, it's not a great title of the movie. Um, And here's why. Because... I remember seeing trailers for this like Uh, a long time ago. Yeah. And honestly, even in the middle of the movie, I could not remember (laughs) what the name of the movie was. Well, remember because I had wanted to see this for a while. Yeah. And then we were trying to figure out if it was already out. And we were trying to search, I think, on Apple TV. And we were saying like, dark, the dark house, the lighthouse. Like we just couldn't. (laughs) Couldn't come up with Lake it. House. It's and, just very generic. And then I couldn't remember the actress's name. That's Rebecca Hall. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, she's in that movie about Victorian ghosts or something like that. But then I couldn't remember the name of that movie. Yikes. So we're kind of helpless, man. If we didn't have Google or IMDb or Letterboxd. Imagine being in the old days. Oh, my gosh. I think about that so often. How are you a fan of movies? You know what? It probably was like your hard drive wasn't just taken up with all the other crap that we fill it with social media cable news all that stuff that just yeah totally drains us of any imagination um so i guess if you're a movie fan you just remember that stuff maybe people wrote stuff down more people can be movie fans without knowing all the details that's true like me yeah sometimes that's better like that meme about the guy that oh now i can't even remember (laughs) I can't even remember the premise of the meme. It touched on okay. something I saw on Twitter, but... Because you know, your hard drive is too full? Yeah, my hard drive is too full. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, we're talking about The Night House this evening, and uh, I think we both really liked it. Yes, yeah, we she, did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty good. Uh, but before we get into it, we want to do some segments with you guys. And the first segment, I think, is kind of a new one, where we're going to be answering a fan question. And okay. so... We are going to, we figured out that if we just held the phone up to um, the microphone, we could play a a voice recording that we got from somebody in iMessage asking a question of us of uh, what we think about horror movies or an aspect of horror movies. So we're going to play that in just a second. It comes from our friend, whom some of you may know. What if he wants to remain nameless? Yeah, we'll, I'll, we'll edit that out. Maybe I'll put a funny bleep in there. <laughs> yeah. We'll just bleep the whole thing out. We'll see. We'll see. Anyways, a friend of mine asked a pretty good question of us that we wanted to address uh, and maybe get your input on it too and see how you guys would answer the question. Yeah, I definitely want everyone's input on this because it's an interesting question that I hadn't, I guess I hadn't thought of before. Yeah, and it's a facet of enjoying horror. And uh, the question is this. I just have a question. When y'all watch horror movies, like, do you ever get scared after the fact? Or are y'all able to sort of leave leave the fear in that moment? Because for me, I can't watch, I can't even watch a horror movie trailer because the trailer keeps me up for like, for years. I think of those images. Um, so do you get scared anymore? Like when you're not watching the movie, do you ever think back on these things um, and find yourself frightened? Nameless friend, that is an absolutely great question. And first of all, I'd like to say that the thing that scares me more than anything is hearing a friend clearly driving as they're leaving a voice (laughs) memo. So I know that they're not being totally attentive to the road. That's true. You got a point. So from my perspective, um, I think I've seen enough horror now to be able to kind of anticipate what I'm going to see in any movie. And even if it comes as a surprise, like I've just seen enough to where it doesn't stay with me quite as viscerally as in the early days. But there still are some movies sometimes that are so unsettling um, that they stick with me for longer. I think the paranormal activity um, and I, I think when I, the first time I saw that, maybe in high school or early college, I didn't want to sleep for days. And it's not because it's like the scariest movie ever made. It's a pretty scary movie, I think. But the thing that freaked me out so much is you just never saw this thing that was stalking them. It was very real. It was very malevolent. 
but you just never saw it. So I think that's probably one of the creepiest aspects of horror movies is when there is something very real, something very dangerous, something very evil that's after people, but you just never see it. And we'll get into this in a little bit, but that's part of why I think the night house is so creepy because the very thing that's the monster in the movie is kind of a essentially nothingness personified. I mean, we'll debate whether that's a proper classification, but not being able to see the thing that hunts you is the scariest thing. And so those movies tend to stick with me a little bit longer than anything else. But what about you? Well, first, do you want to tell the story about what happened the other night when you were upstairs in the office by yourself? Because I feel oh. like that's a good example. Yeah. Um, so... Well, you know, there are certain movies that also just stick with me. The imagery is just creepy enough. And another movie that sticks with me is Hereditary, which we actually just watched with our little sister, or I should say Elise's little sister, 17-year-old sister. And I like I was hyping it up like, this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And at the end of it, she was just like talking about all these plot holes she saw. And so she said, it's creepy, but that's about it. Yeah, no, that movie terrified me so much, but... The other night I was in my office at like 2 a.m. I was working on some stuff and I just could not get this image out of my head of in the very beginning of Hereditary after Tony Collette's mother dies. She's kind of like looking through her mom's stuff and she's standing in her workspace and then she turns the light off and she sees her mother kind of shadowy standing a few feet away from her. And then she flips on the light and she's not there. And so for whatever reason, that scene came to my brain and I kind of looked over from my study and looked into the guest room and I was just expecting to see that woman kind of smiling in the dark. And I just couldn't get that image out of my head. So sometimes there's just images from horror movies or moments or feelings that just kind of revisit themselves upon me. And that one, whoo, that scared me. I ran over to that room. I turned all the lights on and like, you know, for the rest of the time I was working up there, anytime I entered a new room, I like turned the lights on. Most of the time, I don't feel like I have to do that with stuff, but that was a case of it. Yeah. But what about you? Um, for me, I would agree with you. There's certain things that might just kind of randomly pop into your mind. But uh, I feel like in general, for me, there are times when I watch a horror movie and I just feel a little nervous afterwards. And it's not that those images are running through my mind or that I'm seeing things that aren't there. It's something like that, but it's just like a general state of anxiety, I think. Uh, I think a good example of this is when I watched the movie Mama in theaters in 2013 with my friend. And I came home, I lived by myself at the time in my apartment, and I walked in just already feeling anxious because it was like maybe like 1 a.m. by the time I got home. And that movie, I don't remember too much about it. It's maybe a little scary. Probably wouldn't think it's as bad now. But um, anyways, I came home and I heard this slight creaking in my apartment. And this has nothing to do with the movie, but I think just because I was in a state of anxiety after watching a movie like that, I conjured up in my mind that there was someone on my rocking chair out on my back porch waiting for me to get home to kill me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so I went and found like a big steak knife and started like carrying it towards the back porch. I mean, just truly expecting someone to be out there, just 100% sure. Yeah. And uh, and then I got to the back porch and I opened the door and of course there was no one there. And I felt relieved, but I still was confused and eventually figured out that I had a tape in my tape player that I had left on. And so it was like trying to play it, but it was at the end of the tape. Like a VHS tape? No, a, like, a, like a tape, a music Oh, tape. like a cassette tape? Yeah. Oh, in yeah. 2013? Yeah. Oh, okay. I had this big stereo system that I loved. Remember I threw it out and I was so sad about it? It was $20 oh, yeah. at an antique store. Yeah. It had subwoofers <laughs> and it was love of my life. And you came along and said, we don't need this. Yeah. And I threw it out. But anyways, it had a tape player in it. And so 
I had played a tape earlier um, that day. Just out of curiosity, what was the tape you were listening to? Do you remember? I don't remember, but the chances are that it was actually one of those tapes that connects to an aux cord, mm. so you can play your phone through it. Yeah. But I, I had a couple tapes, but they were usually in my car. Gotcha. Anyways, the point being, I feel like more than specific images, there's just like a general state of your mind kind of running and maybe thinking about things that could happen yeah and less of a specific picture in my mind Does that make sense yeah so i guess really and it maybe it's kind of a non-answer but i guess it's just certain images certain feelings you're having so that's kind of what's great about this is that you watch stuff and it could really you know not impress you at all and you walk away totally unfazed and then mm-hmm. you can watch other things thinking like this will just be nothing and it's like there's images that you just can't get out of your mind yeah or like feelings that you can't get over and sometimes that may correlate to you know what's going on in life but right so i guess it just kind of depends is the final answer on that yeah but a good question and we love to hear like maybe specific experiences from you guys like what are things that have stuck with you movies that you've seen images from those movies feelings you've had around them like what is it that lingers with you when you're done watching the movie when you leave the theater you know turn off the tv or whatever so great question nameless person (laughs) maybe we'll just say who it is yeah it's court we should have asked yeah first i think we did ask him if we could he said we could use his question he didn't say if we could use his name well thanks court whose last name i will not mention yeah that's good all right All right, there's one more thing we need to talk about before we really jump in, and that is movie theater etiquette. Oh, boy, folks. Now, why are we bringing this up today, Caleb? I've rarely had, like, bad movie theater experiences. Maybe it's the fact that, honestly, we're all just kind of getting back out to the theater for the first time in, like, over a year. Or maybe it's because it was a Tuesday and they had a Tuesday discount at the AMC. And we ended up going to see a movie, this movie together. We paid $3 total, so maybe that's what other people were doing. Mm -hmm. But we had the worst crowd with us seeing The Night House. Well, it wasn't the crowd to blame. It was just a specific couple of people. Yeah. Felt like a crowd with how much noise they were making. Yeah. So long story short, we just had this couple that came in like late. The movie had already started. Yeah, like 15 minutes after it started. They just came strolling in. And they were just kind of chit-chatting, getting seated. Like, I get it. Like, you kind of do that. But they just didn't stop for a long time. And then they kind of settled down. And then they like ended up leaving at one point and both together. And then they came back like 10 minutes later. I guess they got stuff at concessions, but it's like, that's a crazy strategy to me. Like, one person stays behind and tells you what happened if you have to go. <laughs> but to both walk out and then come back. And this was like 45, 50 minutes of the movie. So major plot points are happening. You know, it was crazy. And I don't want to be anal, but it's like, you're not taking this movie seriously. Yeah. How can you... Did they not realize we had a podcast that we had to record about this? <laughs> but what you're also forgetting is that this other couple came in and sat right next to me, okay? And Which started, is already so rude in the middle of well, COVID. Well, signed seats, but yeah. <laughs> Still. So they sat next to me and then they start chatting with the original couple. So I assume that they're all friends or family. They came in at such different times though. Yeah. And just came in and sat down. And it didn't look like they acknowledged each other at the beginning. But as the movie went on, like, the the first couple, one of them got up and leaned over and started talking to the second one. So they must have known each other. Right. Or they're both insane. The other thing is that I feel like if I have something to say to you in a movie, I'm like, hey, so what do you think about this? And they literally were talking like this. They didn't know how to whisper. I don't think they ever had in their lives. Just just pure 10 volume speaking. It was crazy. That was awful. It was really bad. And then the, the I just couldn't believe this happened kind of moment. This woman got a phone call. 
Oh, this was my favorite moment. Very loud. And she just answered. Like, I haven't seen somebody do that. First of all, the ringer went off. So her phone wasn't on silent. I haven't seen somebody answer a phone call in a theater since 2007. Mm-hmm. It's, it is so crazy to me. And take a guess if she whispered when she answered it. Oh, no. She just had like a normal conversation. And, and, and also, guess if she stopped the conversation within two seconds, like, hey, I can't talk now. I'll call you back. No. Full three-minute conversation. Yes. Truly yes. insane. And then, and then, when she hung up, she started texting... And you hear with every keystroke. And then the lady and her husband get up and just switch seats. So now the man is sitting next to me. And I had no idea why. Very weird. The whole experience was very unsavory. And we just want to remind everyone that's listening out there, please show some common courtesy and etiquette. Listen, they make these things at the beginning of the movie saying, please don't answer your phone. Don't talk. We're all here. We've paid to be here to watch this film. Just be quiet. Listen, I already know, too, that people are, they don't believe in the common good. You know, they're not going to do things to cooperate with other human beings. Can the last bastion of decency that falls is movie theater etiquette. (laughs) We're all at a movie because we need to relax. Everybody's there, in other words, to have a good time and Mm -hmm. get away from their stressful life. So please, please, please don't talk. Don't text. And don't answer your phone. Unbelievable. So the question I want to ask everybody is, what is the appropriate response when people are doing this and you feel like you can't focus because it's that bad. Cause that's what was happening for me. And I wish so badly at the end, I could have gone over and been like, Hey, tell me what happened in this movie. I just want to know if they have any idea what transpired. I doubt it. Cause I, I had a hard time <laughs> because I was so distracted. Okay, so in just a moment, we are going to have our YouTube film reviewer come on and give a plot synopsis of this movie. But then after that, instead of just kind of going over the whole movie in excruciating detail, which is what we did last time, I feel like, but hey, we're new at this, so bear with us. Um, We'll give a plot synopsis, and then we're just going to jump into our gripes, our likes, and our tropes. That way, we'll kind of talk about the movie and talk about the good, the bad, and not feel like we're you know, repeating ourselves for later. So I think that'll be the new standard for us. We'll see how it goes. You know, we're trying to figure it out. But first, we're going to invite a guest on to come and and read this review for us. Now, last week we asked if this person should have a name. And so we're about to invite on Todd is the name we got. We agree that sounded kind of like a name of a guy that would be obsessed with talking about movies on YouTube Mm -hmm. in a really pedantic way. And so I'm going to invite my friend Todd on to read the letterbox synopsis of The Night House. So without any further ado, Todd, would you please take it away for us? Reeling from the unexpected death of her husband, Beth is left alone in the lakeside home he built for her. Soon, she begins to uncover her recently deceased husband's disturbing secrets. There's, I don't know, there was a moment in there that... Was it bad? No, 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 it's funny. Okay, so The Night House is directed by David Bruckner, who also directed a movie I'm really crazy about, the original VHS, which is that anthology series. Um, he did, or he's making a movie called VHS 94, which is supposed to come out this year, allegedly. I don't know about that. But he also did The Ritual, which is on Netflix, but most notably, I think The Night House is probably the best thing he's done, in my opinion. And this movie stars Rebecca Hall, is the main character, Beth, who's a grieving wife, who's also a teacher, that's grieving over the death, recent suicide of her husband, Owen, played by, oh gosh, Evan Johnnekeet, I'm not sure how you say his name, and her friend Claire is played by Sarah Goldberg, her neighbor Mel is played by Vondi Curtis Hall, and finally is Madeline, played by Stacy Martin, who works at a bookstore and has some 
mysterious connection to Beth's husband, Owen. I do have some edits about who this is starring. Uh, Anne Hathaway as Beth. Kristen Bell as Claire. And my friend's husband as the dude whose name I forget. (laughs) What's his name again? Uh, uh, Owen? Owen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that um, because I thought for the first time ever, maybe, that Rebecca Hall looks and sounds like Elizabeth Brunig who works at the Atlantic. Oh. Kind of, in a way. Sure. Um, and then Mel kind of reminded me of the Chocolate Rain guy, but like if he was a lot older. Oh my gosh, she's shaking her head. She doesn't know what the Chocolate Rain guy is. Mm-mm. I think we should do a Chocolate Rain needle drop right here. Chocolate Rain Some stay dry and others feel the pain Chocolate Rain Baby born will die before this in chocolate rain. The school books say it can't be here again. Chocolate rain. The prisons make you wonder where it went. Chocolate rain. Okay, so that was chocolate rain and uh, very popular in like what? 2006, 2007? I don't know. Anyways, let's get on to our next segment, which is gripes, likes, and tropes. All right, Elise, what was your biggest gripe about the night house? My biggest gripe was the loud scares. That was mine too. Sorry. I think it did do its job of giving a good scare, but I I don't like when it's just a loud noise because I feel like it just creates panic inside my body (laughs) and my body wants to It triggers the like fight or flight response. Yeah. There's one scare in particular that uh, I feel like she's asleep and all of a sudden like every single noise that could go off in a house goes off at one time. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I feel so panicky. You know, what's kind of funny. I think I remember during that scene, I knew that was going to happen because her, so she's, Beth is putting her head in the lap of Claire, her friend who's comforting her after the death of her husband. They and their teacher friends went out drinking, trying to console themselves you know, just a tough night for Beth. And so she's at her own home. Her friend's trying to comfort her and her friend's kind of running her, you know, hands through her hair. And all of a sudden her hand stops. And I was like, oh, this is about to get scary. And so I plugged one of my ears because I was like, I know it's going to be loud. what you were doing. Yeah. And so I plugged one of my ears and then it was like, boom, like something really just like radios went off and like. I don't know how to describe it, but it was very chaotic. the loudest thing I've yeah. ever heard in my life. So, I mean, I'm going to piggyback off of what you're saying and because that's what I wrote too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not opposed to jump scares like some people are. In fact, I, you know, that's part of fun is getting, you know, jump scared. Yeah. And you'll actually jump, which I I love. Yeah. I I will. I love to watch you jump. I will. I will jerk violently Mm -hmm. and then I will start to laugh like everybody does. And then you hear people in the theater laughing. That's great. That's fun. So I'm not against jump scares. Mm -hmm. When they're so loud though, that it's like... (laughs) That your brain sends all these chemicals, like, you know, it triggers the fight and flight response, but like not in a fun way. Yeah. Like a, I'm almost about to have a heart attack kind right. of way. Um, or it's so loud that you feel like it takes a few minutes for your hearing to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of too that much I, of that. Yeah. Part of that, I think, is just being in a theater. I think if we would have watched it at home... It wouldn't have been as startling, yeah. but that theater sound is something else. Some of the pushback and criticism I've seen of the night house is that it's very jump scary. So I think that's true. Um, and so I, I guess sort of as like a sub gripe to that is that I feel like it was it had super creepy imagery in it. And I mean, it was just an unnerving. It felt like a very unnerving movie throughout. But I feel like they didn't capitalize off the creepiness of the scenario and you know, oh, okay. I, I just felt like there was, there was, they could have just leaned into that more, and that would have been more effective, I think, than just the, sort of the obnoxious, loud, clanging noises suddenly. Yeah. It could have been used to a better effect. Sure. But overall, we liked it. So what did you like about the movie? What was the main thing that you appreciated about it? Uh, kind of what you just said, uh, that there were a lot of really interesting shots. I mean, very well made. 
and there's a recurring silhouette. You see kind of a man, mostly a head, like a kind of bald looking head with ears. Um, and you see it as a shape just throughout the movie in different like furniture or on the walls or like the bookshelves will like carve out to, to create this head shape. Um, of this figure looking at her or turning its head towards her or whatever. And I really liked that. I thought that was unique and interesting. It's a hard thing to describe unless you've seen, I mean, the movie itself or the trailer. But the best thing I can think to describe it is like the monster in the movie, which we'll discuss in just a minute about what it actually was, um, is just this silhouette of nothing. It's not necessarily a shadow. It's just it's just like the shape of nothing. And it's hard to describe, but... And it's like, like filling in an area where there's nothing. Yeah. If that makes sense. But if you go to... And I've seen this in museums before. Or not museums, maybe, but art installations. Where there might be a, just a bunch of objects that are like suspended in the air. And they just look like nothing if you're standing at it from one angle. But if you move like to a totally different angle, all of a sudden all of those shapes form into the image of whatever it may be. Um, and so you only can see the thing from that one perspective. That's kind of how yeah. this was. Whenever Beth would see this thing that was haunting her or stalking her after her husband's death, it was like a shadow that could only be seen if she were looking at it at the right angle. And it was just, again, just negative space. Like, yeah. you know, the, it looked like a, a cutout of a man um, out in three-dimensional space with, I mean, it could be bookshelves or the wall or pillars in her house or just the shadows. I mean, it was, that was such a cool effect. Yeah. And there was times where I wish we were watching this at home so we could pause and like see how like the CGI team like artistically rendered that because it was really creative. <laughs> You'd be ruining it. Maybe. But, I mean, for the first time you see it, you don't want to have that. But, like, I would like to go back and rewatch this movie and see, and just kind of see how they did that. Yeah. I would say it's, like, half illusion, like you're talking about, like, lining up in the right space, and half just negative space. Yeah. Situations. Very interesting. So, that brings us to the larger question of, well, what is that thing exactly? And so I guess, I mean, this is my like. Your like was cinematically how they pulled that off. But my question has to do with more of like, well, what does that represent? So we talked about this going home. Like, So obviously most movies like this, on, on the textual level, like this is what it's about. It's about Beth, who is grieving the loss of her husband that very seemingly randomly committed suicide in their beautiful idyllic home that's right by a lake, went out into a little rowboat in the middle of the night, shot himself, and she's grieving, dealing with that, and like starting to maybe hallucinate or something, or see these things, or having these dreams. She just feels like really disconnected. So in some senses about dealing with grief, it's about going through that process, about being haunted by those unknown questions. But the subtext is like, well, what is it that she's like, what is she being haunted by? I guess, is it, you know, is this, is this actually, again, textually, is it some sort of monster? Is it some sort of demon? Or does this represent like the grief of losing somebody? Does it represent the nothingness that comes after death in the, the mind of some people? Like, what is this thing? And so all throughout this movie, this thing is quite literally cast as nothing. In fact, one of the major, like an important um, like line readings of the movie um, is her husband, Owen, deceased husband, leaves a note, suicide note that says, you were right. There is nothing. Nothing is after you. You're safe now. So when you first hear that, you just think like, that kind of sounds incoherent, doesn't really sound like anything. But then as you go on later in the movie, you realize that there maybe is something called nothing, nothing personified, and nothing as a personification is after you. And then it's like, well, what is all this about? You're safe now. We'll get into that in a minute. But 
I really actually liked that idea of nothingness as substance. I won't get into this too deeply, but you know, some theologians, when they talk about what sin is, like what the evil of the world is, it's not actually a substance. It's a shadow of what's real, what's good. You know, like creation is good. People are good. Material is good. Um, but what sin is, what evil is, is a distortion of that good. It's a shadow of it. So it's not like its own thing. It's just a parody or it's a, a warping of what's substantive. And so in some sense, I kind of thought like, well, this seems to kind of fall into that view. I don't know. I'm probably not getting that totally right. But like death or grief as nothingness personified, like a, like a distortion of their their love and their relationship and the meaning of life. I liked that idea. Like it was very, I don't know, emotionally, philosophically, very interesting. Um, but I think we debated over if this thing was like really nothing or if it was some kind of monster or what. So what did you think about that? We talked back and forth about it. And I'm still not sure if any of that was intended exactly the way you say um, I, I, I should clarify too, like I will watch movies and being, you know, being a pastor, being a Christian, I always like read I'll, into it. I'll read, you know, some sort of like Christian theological meaning into it. I realize that's not the filmmaker's intention a lot of the times, mm-hmm. um, even though a lot of horror movies lend themselves to that because they're using spiritual and religious categories. I'm not saying that's what this movie's intending to do, but I do think it is trying to like question like interrogate this the the nature of nothingness because i mean they are talking about what is after life maybe i should offer this as sort of a, a helpful input too but beth at one point says to her friend claire that you know you know as she's grieving her husband she says that she died too actually when she was 17 and she was driving a car with her friend in tennessee and they went off the road got pancaked and her lungs got crushed, her body got mangled, and she died for four minutes. And so people would ask her, well, what did she see? And she would talk about like, I don't remember, but what she actually saw was nothing. And so she said she never told that to anybody. She said it was just the tunnel without the light at the end. And so she never told that to anybody, but her husband Owen, and now to her friend Claire. And so now you're getting the sense that, well, Owen is that suicide note is referring to that. Because Owen always believed that there was really something Yeah. at the end. But then again, it's like you're, you're debating like, well, what does it mean? You know, if she says it's only tunnel, did she mean that literally? Like there is something, but it's nothingness, like it's an empty thing? Or did she mean it, you know, just like kind of metaphorically? And that's kind of the fun and the frustration of this movie is that you feel like you're not sure what to make of the 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 term nothing even at the end of the movie um you know beth ends up surviving this nothingness seems to chase her and tries to claim her life um but she survives and uh and the people that rush to rescue her from essentially she's like in a trance she's in the same boat that her husband killed himself in she's got his same gun her friend claire and her neighbor mel see her out there and it's like morning to them it's daylight but she's experiencing this like in an like another reality or like a mirror reality or another dimension and it's night where she is and this thing is taking on the face and form of her husband owen and but it's nothing you know it's like the identity of it is nothing and uh it's wanting her to kill herself to claim her um, but then she resists that. But then when she's rescued, they get her out of the boat and they look at the boat. You as the audience and Beth can see kind of a shadowy nothingness sitting in the boat. But Claire, her friend and, and Mel, her neighbor can't see that. And so Mel says, what are you looking at? There's nothing there. And the movie ends with her saying, I know. And so like, even then, like it leaves it kind of open to interpretation. And I know that's part of the point of the filmmaking process, but I like to have more, a little bit more resolution. Yeah. So like I was, I don't know. It was, that was titillating. So I think there's definitely leeway on how to interpret it. Um, 
I thought that it could maybe be metaphorically like, can you ever really escape death? Or if you had your heart stopped for four minutes, can you escape that thought of what it was like to be dead and to see nothing and have that fear on you for the rest of your life, knowing that that's, that will happen again to you. Um, or possibly trying to escape the grief of losing your husband. Um, so I think there could be some of that, like this nothing is haunting her, which is death or grief or something in that yeah. lane. And then another thing that I brought up to you was that it'd be interesting if it could possibly be metaphorical for survivor's guilt. But I don't know if it leads us to that, really, because they don't talk a lot about uh, the actual accident she was in and how many people were in there. Or at least I don't remember if that's discussed. But what we end up finding out is that this nothingness demon, whatever it is, was urging her husband Owen to bring her back to him via death, killing her. Yeah. And so he was trying to fight this urge because he loves her so much. So he was searching out women that look like her, seem like her in some way, and allowing the urges to come over him to kill these other women, to trick this demon thing. And this is where we should say the movie gets its title, The Night House, because essentially they live on this lake and across the lake, he builds a house that is identical to their own house, except it's not furnished. I mean, the the, the exterior of it's identical, but it's reversed. And um, Beth found uh, later, she found the plans that he had made for this house um, and, and also like a reversal of it. And so she's looking at this and trying to figure out what is this? And then she finds some some old, um, like, I guess it's like a Welsh or Celtic mythology book. Oh, gosh, I'm going to butcher the name, but the Cerdroia or something like that. And essentially, that's like a mythological maze or something that can trap spirits in it. And so when Beth eventually discovers this house because she's having dreams and visions about it with her husband connected to it, she goes to the other side of the lake. And she sees it and she goes through and she finds a weird voodoo doll in there. Um, And then she goes home and does some more research on this. And then she finds out like that this doll is supposed to be something that like can confuse dark spirits or something. But we're getting this all kind of out of context. And so we, we discover alongside her that her husband is killing these women that look like her. And he's built this house that she didn't know about. And he's got this voodoo stuff. And so she's starting to think like, you know, is he was he just this monster I didn't know? But her love and loyalty to him stops her from going that far. And she's just like, I know my husband. This is not him. And then as the movie proceeds, you start to figure out that maybe the whole situation was that, like you were saying, um, when she died, she brought this demon, this nothingness, whatever it is, back and it latched onto him and he had this urge to kill her because this possession or influence or whatever would try to manipulate him into killing her and so he, the only way he would act out on those urges i mean it's not great <laughs> it's not like definitely not great it's awful but he would just kill other people instead and he would do this in this dummy house with these totems to try to trap that spirit over there so he could be free of it but he could never be free of it and you find that's why he was driven to suicide because he just realizes maybe the only way out is if I kill myself and then there's not a conduit to get to her anymore, which is why in his note, he said, you're safe now because nothing is after you. But now that I'm killing myself, it has no connection to you, but you find out that it. Yeah. So going back to the survivor's guilt thing, what I'm saying is that all these women died essentially in her place because he was trying to use these women to relieve himself of this demon. And ultimately, her own husband died in her place because of this. So I thought that could be an interesting similarity uh, to, you know, something happens like that. You get in a car crash and everyone dies but you and you feel 
this guilt of, well, what makes me worth living when everyone else died? Especially if you're the one driving the car or whatever. Uh, so I thought if, if they led us to read it that way, that would have been really interesting. But I don't super think that's what they were doing. Maybe not, but the more you talk about that, I think that's kind of an interesting reading of that movie. And, uh, and again, I, I think what we both affirm, what we like about this is like the actual text of the movie, what's happening and sort of the subtext of what it's like to lose somebody and to have almost died yourself and just trying to process that grief and those feelings of emptiness after life seems like it's almost snuffed out like that or is snuffed out. I, I think that's what's all interplaying in a really interesting way. And so I think we both thought there was a really well-made movie. Thoughtful, for sure. Very thoughtful. Um, pretty creepy. And I mean, I've thought a lot about it since. And it's something I'd like to rewatch. So, yeah. So that's kind of the gist of the movie. But let's maybe lighten it up a little bit, talking about some tropes. What was your favorite or least favorite? My trope that I chose is very insignificant. It's very trivial. It is kind of stupid, but... Well, most of them are, I feel like. Well, I just mean it's a small thing for me to pick at. Sure. But uh, early in the movie, there's a scene where she's watching a home video that she recorded of her husband while he's in his workshop building this house. And she's just so over the top, like... Here's my husband. Oh, do you know I'm filming you? I'm filming you. Oh, that's a good one. I just feel like actresses can be the best in their class. Yeah. And yet there's something about when they do home videos where they just forget how to act like a normal person who's filming a home video. It also feels like it's so exposition heavy. I mean, those things are... I mean, it feels like when you see home movies like that, it, it's always trying to give you a flashback without giving you a flashback. And so, of course, you know, that's going to look like her being like, well, here is Owen and he's, you know, he's <laughs> he's building this house, but we paid people to build it, right? And like, you know, and This is my husband. Yeah. He has biceps. And he's really strong and I love him and I, I kind of depend on him emotionally. <laughs> and if I ever lost him, like my world would be ruined. Say hi, honey. Uh, yeah. It, it just feels like, yeah, it, it feels like it always, not but always, it I, turns into an exposition dump. But I do, I mean, I agree with you that that can be the case, but I do feel like that bothers me a lot less than just people who are professional actors not understanding how people really act when they're doing home videos. Gotcha. There's like this weird, like they're so, trying to be extra goofy, but like they think they're being really normal. I, I just don't know anyone in my friends or family who acts the way most so actors do. So it's not a do. story thing for you. It's more of a just like you feel like they're not acting their best. When I mean, that, that can be. Sure. But I feel like in this situation, I just didn't like the acting. I think that's a good one. I That's really good. Great. What's yours? Mine's kind of stupid. Um, comparatively, or not as thoughtful, maybe. But like, I always love the trope of like the ghost turning on a piece of media. You know, like oh, turning the on sound the, system. And I, I just, I mean, I laughed every time that sound system came on. I think I might even said hello or something when it Welcome. cranked up. Welcome. And I, I mean, I just... I just think that's always funny when it happens. One of my friends said... I think said, it's terrifying. Oh, it is. I mean, it is. I, what was scarier about that, though, is not that it turned on by itself, but and the lights were on. But So Beth is sleeping sometimes, and her sound system would just randomly turn on in the middle of the night, and it would wake her up. And of course, you know, if that happened to you, you'd be like looking around your house like, what's going on? But it wasn't just that, is that it would turn on and then all of a sudden the lights and the sound, everything would turn off at once and would get eerily silent. That was the scariest part of that to me. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I always love a good radio or TV or something turning on in a horror movie. It's definitely spooky. It's very creepy. Gotta admit it. But it's even scarier when it just turns off and there's nothing but silence. Mm -hmm. Whew, creepy.
Well, Elise, before we move on to anything else, you have like any last comments or summaries about the movie? I do. Uh, just two things. One, I just want to say this gave me What Lies Beneath vibes, which I know we haven't discussed fully, but I mentioned it on our first episode of the first horror movie I ever saw. And one of the top reviews on Letterboxd said that this was What Lies Beneath for a New Generation. So it's interesting you said that. Yeah, because essentially it's a woman finding out that her husband has murdered somebody. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And it's by Lake. Oh, yeah. So, But Owen, it seems like, did it for more altruistic reasons. And, than... and I, I stopped right there because okay. the similarities don't go very sure. far. But it has a vibe. Yeah, That's sure. all I'm saying. Just a vibe. The other thing I want to say is a question to you about the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, won't the demon just continue to possess or urge other people in her life to kill her if that's kind of the ultimate goal? Well, they never give clarity on why it had to be Owen that this thing was going to stalk. And, uh, and so, yeah, but maybe now that she's found the power to resist it, like the last major climactic scene is that she's in the lake um, with her husband or it looks like her husband, but it's really nothingness taking on her husband's form in his last minutes. And he's trying to lure her to kill herself essentially. And she's holding the gun that he killed himself with. And she's thinking about doing it, but she resists in the end. She's just able to stop. And so, I don't know, I guess is the the short answer to that. I'm not sure if anybody else would have that closeness to her to be able to influence her that way. Um, or maybe she's just been able to resist it. So they kind of leave it open-ended. So I'm really not sure. I'm just kind of assuming that, like, it just, she beat it. Like, it'll always kind of be hanging over her head, but it won't be as severe like before. That's kind of the way I felt the movie ties up. Yeah. Did That's you have all. any thoughts about that? I mean... I just felt like there wasn't a clear resolution. We don't really know. And and in my opinion, I'm thinking, well, this is not over. I mean, this is going to continue to happen. But this could also be my experience with watching Supernatural, where you always have to kill the demon at the end. I mean, you can't just oh, yeah. leave it hanging. Like, there's there's some sort of weakness, or there's, there's a... I almost said spell. There's an exorcism or something to kind of give a final, okay, this is behind us. Yeah. This thing is gone. But it really is left kind of open-ended, I think. And that probably is intentional just because, you know, grief is left open-ended. A loved one's death is left open-ended. So, okay, now it's time for our letterbox review. Elise, did you actually review it in time? I did. Aren't you, you proud did. of I me? I am so proud of you. I did it the same night that we watched it. You did. Mm-hmm. I feel like you actually got yours out there before I got mine. I did because you were really struggling. I know. I was like really trying to because I when it when I like a movie, I tend to want to say something more serious about it. Um, and I like this one, so I was like kind of like back and forth between saying something jokey and serious. Um, but since you wrote yours first, you want to say what your review oh, was sure. and how many stars you gave it? Well, I gave it four stars because I really liked it. And I felt like it was thought-provoking and it had a lot of interesting shots and unique ideas. That's why I gave it four stars. And my review says, good night, Moon. Good night, House. I think we were kind of on the same page. Not that it makes any sense, That's but fine. it makes me happy. So. Yeah. And most of the time, we're not too serious about our letterbox reviews. Uh, but I gave this movie three and a half stars. I'm tempted to bump it up to four because the more I've talked about it, the more I realize like I like it. So, I keep you talking you into that. We'll just say four. Yeah, I'm realizing that's happening too. You'll just once we talk about a movie together, I like it more. So, um, but three and a half stars originally, but with a heart too. So that, that means I liked it. So cute. And then I did an asterisks. Baptist preacher voice. I don't care about living in the night house. Lord, just let me live in the right house. Mm. So kind of same thing you did in a way. No. Yeah, I mean, we both went for the uh, 
just the pun about the night house well, title. We always go for the joke, yeah. but we went two different ways for sure. Listeners, we need to apologize if you're hearing some noise right now. It's probably our cat scratching at the carpet or bringing us one of her toys for us to play fetch with her. So apologies about that. But it's the perfect transition into our next segment, which is the thing I look forward to the most in every episode, Scaredy Cats. So I have very exciting news to report. There is a cat in this movie, but Elise missed it. Because it is a picture of Beth and Owen on her desk where she teaches school. It's a picture of them petting a cat together that Beth, when she's looking at the picture, gets so sad looking at it, throws it into her drawer. But for a split second, it shows them petting a tabby cat. So that's the cat in the movie. No, we don't see any live cat. Yeah, I was going to say, does this really count, though? Because it was just a picture. I'm counting it. Where was the cat? I don't know. Why are they petting a cat if they, they don't They did own say a cat? they've been married for 15 years, so. You're saying the cat died? I mean, I hate to say it, but maybe. Why would they throw that in there? You know, there's a dog in this movie. Mel is walking the dog, I'm oh, realizing. Oh, yeah. There is a dog. And then, I think that may be it. Yeah. I but anyway, so. so we're at one cat count. Finally have a cat on the slate. I'm so. I don't think we can count it. Ugh. We'll have, we'll put half cat, because okay. it's a ghost cat. Half of a cat. So. And I'm so excited about being able to say that. Cat, that we never learned your name and who Elise didn't see. But I excitedly say, look, look, there's a cat in a picture. And then it cut away. And, you know, if we're watching it in a theater, so we can't rewind it. Um, since we're assuming that cat died and went to be with its maker, very cheerily, I get to say, but not because the cat's dead. I was going to say, that's terrible. <laughs> Don't say that. I am very excited to be able to say, rest in pause, nameless cat. That about does it for this episode. Um, you know what? I will this time tell about our social media stuff, since that always causes you to panic when I say, "Can you tell the crowd?" Because I don't have media? them written yeah. out. I would need to have them written out. So you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, or you can email us at Gmail. At Twitter, we're happily scaried. At Letterboxd, we're happily scaried. At Instagram. We're happily scaried podcast and at Gmail, we're happily scaried podcast at gmail.com. Get in touch with us any one of those ways. We'd be glad to hear from you. As a reminder, please answer the question of what what movies stick with you or what creepy things stick with you in movies. And what was the other question that we had? Was it about theater etiquette? Yeah, how to respond to how to respond to good to bad theater etiquette. Right. But I guess that's it for now, Elise, is there anything you want to tell our beloved listeners? May you live happily, scary after. There you have it, folks. I'll see you later.